King of glory, the Lord strong and mighty. Hallelujah. He is a deliverer. He is a keeper. Hallelujah. There is none like him. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody will tell somebody next to you, there's none like him. Come on, tell them. There is none like him. No word from God is void of power. Every word that comes out of his mouth is full of power. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Every word that comes forth from his mouth. It's got power in it to deliver, power to set free, power to change lives, hallelujah, power to break through, power, Lord, to put the stronghold on the enemy, hallelujah. Every word that comes from him is full of power, hallelujah. Tell somebody next to you, God is a good God, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, let's take this opportunity to just welcome somebody around you, just tell them that you're welcome, we're just glad to have you, hallelujah. And that God is good, and that he is a miraculous God, hallelujah. Somebody just tell them, hallelujah, God is a good God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Before we be seated, I'm going to ask everyone to stand. We're going to honor the word today. And um, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter number 1, verse number 15. This is going to be my prayer as we pray today. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter number 1, starting with verse 15. And I hope that many of you have declared this word and keep declaring and keep declaring and that God will open up revelation, open up knowledge concerning him. But And let's read it together. It says, therefore, therefore I also, after hearing of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my what? Prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? How many believe today? According to the working of his what? His mighty power. Which he wrought in who? Christ. When he did what? Raised him from the dead. And sat him in his own right hand. And what kind of places? Heavenly places. Far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion. And every name that is what? That is named. Not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And has put all things under his what? His feet. Giving him to be the what? Head over all things to the church. Which is his what? His body. The fullness of him that do what? Filleth all and all. Come on, just give him a mighty hand of praise for his word. And pray with me. Father, I thank you right now for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Thank you, Father, for the enlightenment of your word. Thank you, Father, for Lord giving us and Lord a word, giving us, Father, enlightenment, giving us wisdom, giving us knowledge. 
Lord, in you. You're the only God, Lord, that can do that. You're the only one that give us wisdom and give us knowledge, Father, that we can walk so conspectly according to your word, that we can keep your command, that you can change us, that you can heal us, that you can deliver us. You're the only God that can do that. Nobody else can do that. No man can do that. No other God can do that. You're the only one that can do that. You're the only one that can deliver. You're the only one that can break through. We acknowledge you as Lord and King today. We bring an altar to you, an altar of righteousness, an altar of sacrifice, an altar of praise, an altar, Lord, of righteousness. We stand before you. We bow our hearts. We bow our, our, our hearts. Our, we bow our bodies to you as King and Lord of all. There is nobody else that can do what you do. You are the King of glory. You sit on the circle of the earth and you command the morning. There's nobody else that can do that but you. You're the God that delivers. You're the God that sets free. You're the God that breaks through every barrier. You're the God that destroys every demonic altar. You're the God that destroys every demonic assignment. You're the God that destroys sickness and disease in the body. We thank you for what you're doing even now in the name of Jesus. And we lift your name up on high. There is nobody else like you. You're the God of all. And Lord, we lift you today as a people. We come before you. We lift you high. We lift you higher than the heavens. We lift you. Your name is above every name in the heavens. Your name is above every name in the earth. Your name is above every name, Father, even in the next world to come. Your name has been lifted up high, and we glorify you. Now, Father, open up our minds for revelation. Open up our hearts to receive it. Open us up, Lord, that we can begin to walk in the dimension of power that you have given us as your people. We thank you, Father, for the Spirit of God that abides within us. We thank you, Father, for the glory that we carry. We thank you, Father, for your people, Father, that are glory carriers for this time and this season. We ask you to move. Now, Father, stretch forth your hand to heal. By that name, Jesus, stretch forth your name. Stretch forth your hand, Lord, to deliver and set free. And Father, let us know our authority in you that we can stand in heavenly places and command from the heavens into the earth. We thank you for what you're doing. We give you praise, we give you honor, and we praise you now and forever. And Lord, we are careful to give you the praise because you deserve it all. And we give you praise, glory, and honor in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Come on, somebody give my mighty hand a praise. Come on, we can do better than that, come on. Come on, somebody say he's, he's a wonder. We give him praise and glory. Come on, you can do better than that. Come on, lift him, hallelujah. Hallelujah, you can build your altar right here. Hallelujah. You can release God's presence right now. Right in the atmosphere, you can release the presence, hallelujah. Hallelujah, you can release the presence, hallelujah. It doesn't matter how you feel. Hallelujah, your body might feel, feel down, but guess what, Jesus is lifted in you the hope of glory is lifted in you hallelujah his strength is in you hallelujah lift him up with your praise lift him up with your mouth bring him the sacrifice of praise bring him lord the fruit of your lips you are a high priest in him and we give him praise and glory in jesus mighty name hallelujah somebody say hallelujah god is a good god amen and uh I'm just always at awe at Jesus. And um, there's some things that are going on in the, in, in the spiritual realm and there's some things that are going on in the natural realm. In the spiritual realm, there are, are fights with the demonic world. In the natural world, we see those fights going on all around us in men, women, and countries. You know, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, it says, in the last days, you 
So see wars and rumors of wars. And he talks about all the pestilence and he talks about sicknesses and he talks about diseases. But he also says this, that the love of many shall wax cold. The love of many shall wax what? Cold. And that tells you that people will begin to not love people or value the life of people. Will be begin to put value on things and materialism and other things more than they do God. And we're living in these last days. And the last day beginning when Jesus rose from the dead. It changed the dispensation. And we're now in the dispensation of grace. And this dispensation is winding up. And it's time for us to get serious about God. And stop fooling around with God. And become very serious with God. And many people know, and you've known, and I've known, and there's people around you, and your families, and all around us, people are dying. They're leaving here by the thousands every single day. They're leaving here, and they're going into eternity. And I've never seen a day like this, and I'm quite sure that many of you have not, but we must be very uh, uh, aware of the times. And I've said this before, we must be like the sons of Ezekiel. We must be be able to look at the signs of the times know what time is going on what time is it and it's time to get back into the foundations of the word of god get back to the foundation of the bible get back to what the bible is saying what the bible is declaring what we should do as believers how to prepare ourselves how to walk in power and demonstration how to let God lead us and guide us into truth, into righteousness. How to study the word and get the, the essence of the word and get it into our hearts and let the word of God motivate us and move us into the dimensions that God has called us to be and the purposes that God has called us to actually walk in. You cannot walk in the purpose of God if you're not focused on God. You have to become focused on God. And so... Um, we talked about it in Bible class, but I'm going to add a little bit more to it. And uh, we talked about the seven dimensions of an altar. And just for some of you that maybe have not been there or have not listened to it, you know, an, an altar is you. Your body is the temple of the living God. And when God moved his presence from buildings, when he moved his presence from buildings, when he moved his presence from uh, the ark, and he moved it in you. The Bible says that we are the temple of the living God. How many are temples of the living God? Come on, raise your hand. Be bold about it. You're going to have to be bold in these days. I mean, there's some stuff going on. And we got to be bold about the dimension that we walk in, the dimension of God, the things that we are, who we are in him. And we are the temple of the living God. That means that God dwells in you. And when I say he dwells in you, he's in you right now. This is where you get your authority from. You get your authority from the knowledge that he dwells in you. You get your authority from the knowledge of him. His word is in you, and you can use his word to go forward in the things that God has assigned you to go, in, in, go forward in. You are the temple of the living God. And that temple comes with responsibilities. You are a priest. God calls you priests. In second, uh, second Peter, I think it's chapter number five, he calls us priests. And every priest has a responsibility of taking care of the temple. It's called temple maintenance. 
when we look in the Old Testament, we see what the Old, the Old Testament priests did. They made sure that all the altars was clean. They made sure the sacrifices were perfect. They made sure that they, they cleaned themselves. They arrayed themselves in the proper garments because they knew that they were going before God. And when they went before God, they had to make sure that their life was in order, that they had sacrifices that deal with their sins in their life. And they had to have sacrifices that dealt with certain types of things in their life, like peace among two each, uh, uh, between others and, 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 and wave offerings and these types of bread offerings. All these types of offerings was there so they could approach God. And so let me just uh, reemphasize again something about God that sometimes people don't know. God's nature is holy. Somebody say God's nature is holy. And God cannot change his nature. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. He says, I change not. I am a holy God. And as being a holy God and can't changing his nature, those are two, there's two things that God cannot do. He cannot change and he cannot lie. There's a possibility it doesn't exist. God does not change, and God cannot lie. So that should tell you as a believer, as a sidebar, that everything that is in the word of God is obtainable. Somebody say, everything in the word is obtainable. Come on, say it with some conviction. Even if your mind doesn't agree, say it because it's the word. Everything in the word of God is obtainable. He says all the promises of God are what? Yea and what? Amen. Isn't that what the word says? Okay. Don't just, you know, when I say something, check me in the word. Everything is obtainable because it's promised to you. Whether you receive it or not is up to you. But it's available to you. Okay. And so God cannot change. And so. One of the things that God knows about him is that he cannot change and nothing that is unholy can stand before him. Nothing unholy can stand before him and live. It has to be holy. And so when man sinned, what God had to do was he had to sacrifice something to cover man's sin as a payment for what he did so that man can approach him. And so we find in the book of Genesis that when man sinned, man took some aprons, some leaves, and covered him, himself with it, but that wasn't good enough. The Bible says that God took a coat, an animal, and covered Adam. Now, when I call it Adam, you know, most people always disconnect Adam and Eve, but Eve didn't get her name until after the fall, before the fall. The Bible says in chapter 4 of Genesis, it says, and he called them Adam. They were one. And so we need to understand that the separation came of the name as a result of sin. Everything is separated because of sin. And he says he made them a coat of stains and he gave it to them and covered them. Why did he cover them? Because the only thing that could approach him was something that was innocent. Something that was innocent that represented what he had already planned somewhere in eternity in order for man to approach him. The altars begin when he slayed these animals to cover mankind. 
That's where the altars began because blood was shed and he covered the, them with the animal skins representing the covering so that God's holiness wouldn't destroy man. So man can continue to be in contact with him. And this is where the altars begin. And then we found out after that a demonic altar was erected with the slain of Cain, of Abel by Cain. This is the beginning of the altars. And then it says later on in that verse, it says, then men begin to call upon the name of the Lord. It was where prayer was beginning to be erected after that through the altar. It hasn't changed. God requires an altar. He requires us as temples to have an altar that is actually located in our hearts. And that's why when we approach God being saved, covered in the blood of Jesus, that when we approach him, that the covering of the blood and the having a righteous altar give us access into his presence and into his person and into the things that he has for us. And so let's just take a look at that real quickly. And, I, um, and singers, please don't go anywhere. We're going to need you in a few minutes. Um, and and uh, let's go to uh, Exodus chapter number 20. Exodus chapter number 20, verse number 24. And so I'm just going to talk briefly about the seven dimensions of the altar. Because if you want God... It's got to have, you have to put everything about you on the altar. The altar of sacrifice, the altar of exchange, the altar of release. Exodus 20, 24, it says, An altar of the earth thou shalt make unto me, and shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings, thy peace offerings, thy sheep and thy oxen. And this is what God would require back in the Old Testament. He says, make me an altar, and in this altar, I want you to do this. Make me an altar of the earth. Don't try to do anything to the altar. Just make it of the earth based on what I command you to do. And this altar, I want you to put on the altar. I want you to put burnt offerings. I want uh, thy peace offerings, thy sheep, and thy oxen. In all places where I record my name, I will come to thee. Now, I want you to take note of what he said. He says, in all places, which means that the altar was traveling. It was, it was moving. It was still moving until the time of Solomon. But the altar was consistently moving. And the reason why the altar was moving is because wherever people set up camp, God's presence needed to be there. Some of you and some of, and some of us need to make sure that our altars are set up at home so God will come to you. Some of us don't have altars at home. And when I'm talking about altars, I'm not talking about physical altars that you make with, uh, with things of, uh, of brick and all that kind. I'm talking about you as the temple. You are a traveling altar. Your heart is the altar. And wherever you sit at, wherever you stand at, an altar can be resurrected or erected. Joshua had a traveling altar. 
God tells Joshua in the book of in the book of Joshua, he says, Joshua, wherever you put your feet at, the land will be yours. Well, why is the land going to be mine? Because wherever you step, I'm going to step. And you and I must understand that if we are going to be vessels of God, we're going to have to be able to step in places to take authority and take dominion over places that the enemy has claimed. This is why the Bible says the kingdom suffers violence, but that violence is taken by what? Force. There's always an opposition to where you stand. There's always an opposition to where you go. But you have the ability through God when you walk in the place because you are representing God and because you have the authority of God that you can take dominion over a place. It has to do with your body. It has to do with sicknesses. It has to do with diseases. It has to do with your finances. It has to do with any area in your life that you find that the devil's head is sticking in. You have the ability to stomp on his head and take authority over it. Now notice what chapter, verse number 25. And if I would make an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of a hew stone. For if thou lift up thy tool upon it, you have, thou hast polluted it. Which means that in the Old Testament, they could not cut the stone to fit or to make look proper or to be cut or to do something to the stone to, to, to make the stone look like the imagination of the cutter. Which means in today's society, you cannot just offer God anything that you want to. You cannot just offer him all the stuff that you want to him and how you offer it and when you are, you can't do that. That means that you have tried to curtail or try to cut your worship based on what you feel like, based on what I feel like. When God says bring him a sacrifice of praise, it doesn't mean I'm just going to bring him any kind of praise. I'm just not going to sit down and praise God any kind of way that I want to. It means that he requires you to do something. He says, bring me the sacrifice of praise. Bring me the fruit of your lips. That means you got to open your mouth up and say something. Well, I'm saying something in your mind. That's not what he said. He said, bring me the fruit of your lips. That means you got to say something. And I know that as I go through this, some, some of you may not like some of the things I'm saying, but I'm just going to stick with the word. I'm going to just tell you the truth. Because what I also found out, too, is not only is demonic altars being built, some people are going back to the foundation of the word of God, and it's talking about how we are defying God's altars and how we're defying God's word and doing what we want to do and not what God requires of us. You got to do what God requires. It's not my ideal. It's not your ideal. It's God's ideal. And so he says, bring me a righteous altar. And if you bring me a righteous altar, then I will set you up to go in the seven dimensions that I have set before you. And in those dimensions is everything that you need. There are these seven dimensions that you can walk in 
and that everything that you desire, everything that you need, healing, uh, finances, they're all within these seven dimensions because dimensions means a place, a space, and time. It means that when you walk into this place, there is a set provision, there are set times, there, there are boundaries, there's limitations in this, in this uh, 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 dimension, and you keep going higher and higher and higher until you get into the dimension that goes into another dimension. But I'm not going to talk about that second dimension of the seven dimensions because the second dimension has to do with the heavenly realm. But the seventh dimension that we need to deal with is the dimension that we are associated with right now. Okay? We are associated with these dimensions. So let's turn to Psalms 24. Psalms 24, starting with verse 3. God is asking all of us these questions. And to be honest with you, we're going to have to be really serious with ourselves because all I want to do is uh, provide you with the truth. That's all I want to do. I want to provide you with truth. And you could check after me, as I always say. Just check after what I say. Don't go by everything the preacher say, hook, line, and sinker. Check it in the Word and see if what's being said is true. Always do that, no matter who, how wonderful the preacher is to you, no matter who, what they sound like, the, the sound of it, we need to be very careful what we hear and be careful what we receive. Psalms 24 and 3, notice what it says. Who shall do what? Ascend into the what? The hill of the Lord. Or who shall stand in his what? Holy place. So just a background, most altars in the Old Testament, even the demonic altars, were in high places. I told you about this, the time that uh, Prophet Ch or Charlie Shemp uh, Sh um, went, I think he was in uh, a place in Romania or something like that, and he said that in his first meeting that he had, and we went into the meeting, he says he was, he was really, you know, you know, hyped up, ready for God to do some things and prepared himself, and when he got in there, nothing was happening. He was praying. Nobody was getting healed. He was trying to deliver people. Nobody was getting delivered. He, he wasn't, nothing wasn't happening. And it bothered him so. And he went back to his hotel room and he began to pray. And as he began to pray, he says the Lord didn't say anything to him. The Lord woke him up early in that morning, about 4, I think 4, 5 o'clock, something like that. And the Lord says, I want you to walk out over your hotel room and I want you to go over this pathway. So he walked out the hotel room and he, he walked down this path and he kept walking and then he heard the voice of the Lord say, says, turn this way and he was in some bushes and stuff like that. And when he began to walk, he began to walk upward. When he began to walk upward, he came into this clearing and in this clearing, what he saw was an altar built. He saw an altar built there and what he said, he looked at it, he God says to him, this is the problem. There is a demonic altar built over the city. And so he said he brought his anointing oil with him. He destroyed the altar. He put anointing oil on that altar, and he stood up on the altar and declared, God, come in this place. God, move in this city. God, destroy this demonic altar 
We close the door to the demonic altars, that's, uh, the demonic realms that's coming in here. We destroy the worship in this place of demo the demonic. We destroy it in the name of Jesus. And he said that he destroyed it. He walked off, went back to his hotel. That night, he said miracles broke out everywhere. Why did it happen? It's because someone went into the high place and erected a demonic altar. Now, why do I say that? Why do I talk about the high place? A high place just isn't necessarily a place of high, but a high place is anything that you exceed higher than God. Any area of our life that is bigger than God is a high place. That could be our sickness. That could be our jobs. That could be our children. It could be our husband. It could be our wife. Anything that you esteem higher than God because a high, could become a high place and could become a demonic altar. This is important to know because God is asking the question, who will ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who is able to make him first and foremost in his life, in their, your, your life, and esteem him higher than anything else in your life? And I know this, that people do what they want to do. They put priorities on what they want to put priorities on. They assemble their lives and they prioritize their lives based on what is needed to be done, based on what has to be done, and based on what they would like to do. And God makes this statement in the, the book of Exodus, and he also talks about it in the New Testament. He says, put no other God before me. Nobody else has got to be, no one else is before me. If I'm going to be the center of your life, I'm going to be the center of your life. That means that your job is going to have to come second. That means your family is going to have to become second. That means your, your lifestyle is going to have to become second. What you desire is going to have to become second. I have to be first because I am God and there's no one else beside me. I am the, the lofty one. I am the one that created you. I am the one that created you in my image and you know, in my likeness, and if, I'm, if you want me to help you direct your life, I've got to be first. If I'm not first, I'm nothing at all. God will back away from all those that don't put him first. Because he doesn't take second, he doesn't take his second fiddle to anybody. He's God, and he's got to be first. Somebody said he's got to be first. And so he said, who is qualified to ascend into the hill of the Lord? And to stand in his holy place. That means to stand before him. That means to be in his presence. That means to stand before him. And we have a, a grand opportunity as the people of God that says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We have an opportunity to do that. That's part of our inheritance. That's part of the blessings that we have. And I know that people want to hear about blessings. And uh, the gospel has been perverted today to, to actually zoom in on blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. But it doesn't talk about transformation of the heart. We've got to be transformed. We've got to get rid of the old and allow God to come in and renew us. People don't want to preach about that. They want to preach about, they want to talk about the blessings. They want to talk about that. But guess what? I found out something. If you stay with God, the wealth comes. If you stay with God, he'll direct your path. If you stay with God, he'll direct your finances. When you find yourself in trouble, he'll be there.
God is never going to leave you. David said, I was once young, now I'm old. I never ever seen the righteous forsaken. Or I never seen his seed doing what? Bacon. Why? Because you're a representative of the Most High God. And if you're a representative of the Most High God, that means that God has a responsibility of taking care of you because he said it. Our prayers are missed because we weep for ourselves lust, our, our, after our own lust. And I'm not talking about sexual lust. I'm talking about we want things. We want materialism. We want all this stuff. We want everywhere. We want this. We want to drive the best cars. We, want, and we, just, we cannot just drive just, uh, just a Cadillac. We got to have a Benz. We got to have all the good stuff. And God doesn't mind us having that good stuff. But the question is, why are you gathering that stuff for you when there's things that could be done to his kingdom? I, these are things that, that we got to think about. If my focus is on gathering things, I'm in the wrong business. My mind should be focused on thy will be done. What is your will? And if I do his will, everything else will come. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven in his what? In his what? Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven in his what? In his righteousness. He says all these things will be what? Added. It'll be added. It'll be added. Because I'm doing what? I'm seeking his righteousness. I'm seeking his will. So as I go along, he'll bring the stuff. I don't even have to ask for them. They'll just come. I have a book at home, and it's, just, it's, a, it's a profound book. It talks about the richest man in the world. You know what the richest man in the world? His name is Solomon. And this man, he wrote the man that wrote the book, he was in debt. He, uh, he couldn't get a job. And, he be, and this, this man that was talking to him about this, the book of Solomon, he says, well, you know, Solomon's rich. You could just read what he says and just follow what he says. And he, so he followed the instruction. He took the book of Solomon, the Ecclesiastic and Proverbs, and he, begins to, and he began to read them and began to read them, and he got a job. And then after all, he was promoted on his job. Then after a while, he got a witty idea, and after two years, he was a millionaire. Why? Because he looked for wealth in the word. He followed the instruction, and the instruction in the word talks about character. Somebody ought to say, man, I know you might not like it, but it's true anyhow. In the, in the instruction in Solomon, in the instruction in Ecclesiastes, it talked about having right character. It talked about doing people right and not doing them wrong. It talked about stop lying on people and tell the truth. It talked about investing in God things and not in selfish things. And all of a sudden, he found himself wealth just coming to him all over the place. Talk about give to the poor, give to the needy. Give to the things of the kingdom. And you found out, he found out, it just came to him. You ought to get it. Things just start coming. All because of that. Why? Because he positioned his heart to be right. And notice what it says. 
the next verse, and, and you, you have to see. So you're talking about a high place, and you're talking about a question that who can go up to the high place and who can stand in my presence? It knows what he says. He that has what kind of hands? What kind of hands? Clean hands. Clean hands is not going to mischief. Clean hands is not killing people. Clean hands is making sure that everything that you touch is clean. And I'm talking about all physical. I'm talking about the things that we, got, we say, the things that we do, the things that our mouth says, the things that we, he says, clean hand. And what kind of heart? Of what kind of heart? A pure heart. In the Greek, the word pure means, is this is Hebrew, but it's similar. In the Greek, it talks about pure heart means the ability to cleanse your heart. It's the ability to look inside yourself and be honest with yourself and say, this area of my heart is messed up. I need it to be cleansed. It's a process of cleansing. How do I cleanse my heart? The Bible says in the book of, uh, of Psalms, I think it's 104, it says, how shall a young man cleanse his ways? It says by taking heed, by observing and doing the will of God. That's how you clean your heart. How do I do that? When my emotions are, are messed up, are so messed up, when I'm angry, when I got all this stuff, how do we do that is that even if we're angry, we, we choose, we make a choice to do the word. We choose to do the correct thing and not the wrong thing. And after you practice it so much, what you find yourself doing is that your heart will begin to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and the application in the hearing of the word to begin to do the right thing. The process is called erasing the bad and writing the new. He writes on the tables of our heart. And so it's not something that you do because you, there's a penalty. It's not something that you do because somebody says you won't get it. It's something that you do because it's in you to do it because it's part of your godly nature. Notice what it says. He has not lifted his, his soul unto what? Vanity, nor swore what? And so everybody that's hearing my voice, those that are watching and all of that, you got to really take inventory of what's going on. We're living in a day now that we need to take inventory every day. Don't miss a day without taking inventory of what's going on in here. Because if you miss a day, you might miss something. And if you miss something, you might find yourself in trouble. Psalms, Psalms 139, verse number 3. Take the word. The word has everything you need. Somebody said the word has everything. And the word's got power. Somebody said the word's got power. One thirty. Oh, I'm sorry. 139, 23, verse 23. Notice what it says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my what? My thoughts, verse 24. We love this verse because this is the verse that most people use as excuses. God knows my heart. It doesn't work 
You can't give yourself excuses of why you're not applying the word of God in your heart. You can't do it. Some people will say that it's okay, but it's not okay because you have the ability through the Holy Spirit to be transformed. Doesn't matter how you think your life is going, God can transform your heart because God's power is not limited. God has the power to transform your mind, your heart. The process may take, for different people, might take longer than another person, but guess what? God's power can do it. Somebody say, it can do we done. And he says, in C, if there's what? Any, be, if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way of what? Everlasting. So God tells us to search our heart, and he doesn't tell us to stay where we're at. He doesn't tell us, Lord, search my heart and know my heart and try me. Know my faults. And then he says, and see, take a look inside of me and see if there's anything inside of me that is wicked, that is against you, that is not lining up with your word, that things that, that is in my heart, those things that are hidden and those things that are revealed. What is in me, Lord, and reveal it to me so my heart can be cleansed. Amen. Lead me in the way of righteousness. Lead me in the way of your path. Lead me down the road of success in you. So I say amen. And so God desires for us to have what? A righteous heart. Somebody said righteous heart. Righteous character. And a righteous lifestyle. And you can sum it up is to display God's love through you. How many of you are saved today? Just raise your hand. If you're saved, raise your hand and just say, I'm saved. Okay. If you're saved, that means you're in the process of transformation. You're in the process of being conformed to the image of the one that you behold, the one that you worship, the one that when you bring, when you begin to worship, you see him in your worship. You see him in everything that you do. You see him. You see his actions. You see his power. You see his glory. You see his righteousness, and you desire to be like him. I want to become like him. I want to become like him in his love. I want to become like him in his character. I want to become like him in his ministry. I want to become like him in every single area of my life because he is the one I behold. If the storm gets in your way, you won't see him. If you're in a rocky storm and the waves are coming and the waves are dashing like Peter and Peter is looking, first of all, he's looking and he's beholding Jesus and as he's beholding Jesus, he's walking straight. He's walking right on the water in the midst of the storm. Even he's walking in the midst of the storm, but guess what's happening here? The storm is raging and then the Bible says he looked away. And when he looked away, he saw something that scared him. Fear came on him. And the Bible says he began to sink. What is in our lives that calls us to look away from the one we behold? Ask yourself the question. I have to ask myself the question. Everything that you think about what should be 
is not always what you think. Your opinion in, in the reality of God's word doesn't mean anything. It's God's opinion. That's all that matters. And what I'm trying to get you to, to see is, is it sets you up to go in these dimensions of, of, of these dimensions of the altar. When you actually understand that you're supposed to be righteous and stop making excuses for being unrighteous. And I understand the dynamics of deliverance. I understand the now dynamics of uh, demonic holds and strongholds and, and generational curses. I understand those dynamics to the degree that I understand them. But guess what? That's no excuse. You got to fight until the fight is done. You got to war. You got to war and, f and overcome. You got to fight and you got to pray and you got to fast and you got to apply the word and you got to get somebody that's with you. You need to watch out who you talk to. You need to watch who you be with. Because who you be with can actually put you down and bring you up. Watch who you tell your inner thoughts to and your, and your, and your, and your struggles to because somebody, the enemy will be so glad to expose your inner struggles. That's why the Bible makes it give us a guideline. It says, he that is spiritual. He that is spiritual. Somebody says, he that is spiritual. If you know a person that talks too much, he's not the one you talk to. You don't talk to people that talk. You talk to people that you know that God is in them and you observe their life by the fruit they bear. Are you listening? Their love, their kindness. They, they bear the fruits of the spirit. They're patient. They have love. They can sit down and have a conversation with you and not get all upset because you disagree with them. Ain't nobody saying nothing. I'm feeling pretty good today. Maybe I'm delivering myself. <laughs> you got to be careful who you entangle yourself with and who you and who you're joined with because it could be it could down the line cause your downfall or cause your cause your uprising love covers a multitude of what sins you need somebody that will help you get out of your mess not put you in the mess Are you listen to what i'm saying you need to look for people that can pray for you and uh, uplift you and that you can hear them when they tell you the truth. Tell me the truth. Don't tell me foolishness. Tell me what thus said the Lord. It might hurt me, but if I'm with you and you're with me, I know you're saying it for my good and I'm not saying it for my downfall. You're not going to expose my weaknesses but you're going to strengthen me until I overcome my weaknesses. Are you listening to me? 2 Corinthians 6, uh, 16 says, And what agreement ha have the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. So what agreement do you have with your idol of your sickness? What agreement do you have with your idol of your lack? What agreement do you have with your agreement with darkness? 
You know, God's vocabulary never says nothing negative. Did y'all know that? When God speaks to you, he never puts you down. He may correct you, but he's not going to say, you foul such and such, and you this and you that. You know, he don't do that. This is one of the reasons why people don't talk to other people about it, because when they say something, the carnal mind wants to get down and put them down instead of bringing them up. God will tell you, you are better than that. God will come to you with a sweet, depending on who you are. Now, some of us, we've got to have that, that, that sternness of God. God said, you know better than that. And other people, God says, listen, you're better than that. Come, let us reason together. Let's talk about well, the situation you're in. And some people can handle it. God saying, you know what, stop it. Some other people can't handle that. And you got to be able to discern these things when you're dealing with people. You got to be able to discern who can take what. Because some people you got to be rough with and some people you don't. Some people you rough with, you'll, you'll discourage them even more. You got to learn how to discern how to pick people up and push them on. And I know what people say. I know what people say. That they're babies. They ought to grow up. You can't grow people up that ain't ready to grow. You got to push them up slowly. You got to love them out of their mess and not in their mess. Are you listening to what I'm saying? I will give you pastors, shepherds after my own heart. God tells the Israelites, he, he says, come, let us reason together. Let's talk about where you're at and how I can do you much better than they did. Let's talk about the blessings I have for you if you follow after me and how I can take you from one place to another place and another dimension, another dimension. Let's talk about that. Let me show you that I can do it. I love you so much that I'm going to show you just a glimpse of what I have for you. Ain't nobody saying too much, but it's okay. And so what God wants to do in Romans 12, 1, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you do what? Present your what? Your bodies, I'm talking about the, all of your body, not just your hand, not just your feet, not just your eyes, not just your nose, not just your legs. He says your body. A living sacrifice. Holy, I got the character of God. So guess what? That is my reasonable service. I'm reasonably supposed to be holy. My character is supposed to be like him. I'm not going to indulge in stuff that I'm not going to curse. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to smoke the temple out. I'm going, I'm going to declare what thus said the Lord. I'm not, I'm not going, I'm going to do things that bring honor to the God's temple because I am the temple. So I'm going to do things that bring honor to him. Are you listening? And so God wants us to Confess our sins. If you're going to get, go into these dimensions and have effective dimensions, you're going to have to do what? Confess your sins. Confess your sins of commission. Confess your sins of omission. And most people say they talk about commission, but let's talk about omission. When God tells you to wake up and you don't, to pray. Because God has an assignment. When God wakes you up in the middle of the night to begin to pray. That means that he's put something in your mouth to release him in that area that he's telling you to pray about. 
And when you fall asleep, guess what? He has to give it to somebody else because you didn't release it, so he's got to have somebody else release it. He's talking about, I got a call on your life, and so because I got a call on your life, you, 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 you have to begin to submit to the process of perfecting your call. I know most people, they, they, they jump up and they say, well, God called me to preach. Okay. That's good. That's wonderful. I remember when I first went to my pastor, and my pastor, I says, I feel that I'm called to preach. He looked at me and says, okay. <laughs> I'm, thinking, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking, okay. He says, well, we'll see. In your patience, you find out who you are. We're waiting. Most people, they want to jump up right now and hit the pulpit, and, and they want to start preaching right away. And they may have a good word. They might be very good. But there's something that hasn't been developed in them. Wisdom. Knowledge. Character. You call yourself a preacher, like many of the preachers that we see today that has fallen from, fallen from their place. Because something was, uh, was, was missing out of their character that needed to be developed. Amen. I'm almost finished. <laughs> so we need to ask the Lord, like in Psalms 139 and 23, we need to ask God, what is in me? You should be every day asking, you know, what is in me? What is going on within me? Why, why am I overcoming this area? What is going on? And there's many things that could be going on in people's lives. So don't always think it because it's you. It's something that could be holding you up. There could be a demonic power, a stronghold that is in your life that needs to be broken that you don't even recognize. And, you know, the enemy takes advantage of ignorance. I'm going to say that again. The enemy takes advantage of ignorance. If you don't know it, he knows you don't know it. He's going to take advantage in an area that you don't know. Years ago, the saints of old, they didn't know anything about uh, prosperity and giving and all that kind of stuff like that. They came to church. They gave whatever they had, and they didn't, they didn't intentionally know about sowing. They didn't intentionally know about the offering. They didn't intentionally know about, they knew about tithe, but they didn't know all the other things. And somebody says, well, why wasn't the saints back there in prosperity? Well, we found out later on because they didn't know what the word said. And because the word didn't, they wasn't clear on what the word said about it. Nobody was preaching about it. Guess what? They were ignorant, and enemy took advantage of them, and they lived in poverty. Still saved, but had nothing. God provided. They didn't starve, but they didn't live in the hundredfold because they didn't know. Years ago, people didn't know about that God would heal miraculously. But no one gave them the information. How did this person get to that place that God would use them so mightily? And most of them would say, well, I prayed and I fasted. But they didn't know there's other parts to it that had to take place. It means that you had to stay in the face of God. It actually means you had to fast. You had to read the word, and you had to begin to imagine. And these individuals, they began to imagine the healing power of God, and they didn't even know what they were doing until the manifestation of it came. And then I said, well, how did you get there? Well, I just asked God, and he gave it to me. 
They didn't know how to break it down to get sure to everybody else. But now God has opened up knowledge and wisdom so that everybody that's in the body of Christ can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Everybody can cast out devils because we have knowledge. We must have the character of the kingdom. We must be, we cannot be conformed to this world. Some people want to actually live in the world and become the world and still live in Christ. You can't go, you only can go one or the other. You can only you can live in Christ or you can live in the world. Which one? You can't be conformed to the world. You got to live outside of the world. The Bible says, come out from among them. Be separate. Your people got to see a light. They got to be able to see a light, a light. You are the light of the world that sitteth on the hill that cannot be hidden. When they see you, they should see a God in you moving. When they ask you, you should have the wisdom of God come out of your mouth like they did. Jesus said, I never met someone that spoke so much wisdom and spoke with authority. We had to dispel the love of God. With love and kindness have I drawn them. Love and kindness come in many ways. People try to categorize them. But you can't categorize love when it comes to individuals. Some people require higher love. Some people require soft love. Some people require love that embrace. Some people uh, require love that doesn't embrace. It, it's, uh, God knows where you're at, and so he will bring you in based on where you are. Somebody says, well, we got to love them. Well, how are you going to love them God's way? What would God do to show them his love? Think about it. Because everybody's different. Everybody wants to put people in categories. But every person God has made uniquely different. You are wonderfully made. You are made who God has made you to be. There are some people that are loud. There's some people that are soft. There's some people that like spaghetti and some people don't like spaghetti. Some people like fish and some people hate it. Everybody's uniquely different. And you got to have the wisdom of God or know how to bring that person into God. Are you listening to me? This is why the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of who he is in you have got to come out of you because when you get this revelation, when you get the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God, now you're able to respond to who you are talking with godly through love. Okay, so let's get into Matthew chapter 6, verse number 9, and I'm going to read this. These are the seven dimensions of an altar. And, um, And I want the sickness to prepare to come up. But these are the seven dimensions of the altar. If you're going to go into the high place, the first thing you got to address is your heart. And that's what I'm trying to address is your heart. I'm trying to address my heart. I'm trying to address your heart. I want you to know that your heart's got to be right. How is my heart right? By looking, taking a true look at where you are in your heart. People that have heart issues a good percentage of the time because there's something in their heart that is not right. There's something in their heart. We, we have the ability to say stuff out of our mouths that we don't mean with our heart. Are you listening? We can say so. We can look right in the person's eyes and say, I love you, and in our heart say, I hate you. 
I don't like you. <laughs> the one thing, as most of you know, when Dean went to heaven, he says that your, whatever you think is the reality of what you are. There's no two ways in heaven. You, whatever you think is the, really, the reality. So if I think this way about someone, it's the reality. And so you got to look at your heart and say, what is in my heart? And it's not lining up to the word. This is how you position yourself for the righteous altar. This is how to enter into this dimension. Because the first thing is that you can't send strange fire up. Strange fire is anything that is mixed in that will hinder your worship. Or when you bring your worship of it, even playing instruments or anything like that, if you're mad with somebody, it'll come out in the atmosphere. It'll come out in your atmosphere. It'll come out in the atmosphere. Whatever you're doing and it's in your heart and it's not right, it will come out in what you do. Because what you do, it becomes spiritual. And I'm not saying anything about these musicians. They're fine. They're wonderful. They're great. But if, if, and I'll use Courtney. I used her last week. So, so if Courtney's playing something and, and she's really mad at me, she going, well, you didn't turn that on. She'll mess up because she said, I don't like him. <laughs> He's really messy. He's messing up my notes. I don't like it. I wish he'd get out of the way. And so when she's playing something, what's happening? What's happening is, is that she's sitting up strange fire because it's not pure. It's not concentrated on God. She's got somebody else mixed in there. So when we begin to think about what we do, we've got to have a pure heart. And so Matthew 6 and 9 says, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which are in what? Heaven. Hallowed be what? Hallowed be thy name, which means how great and how holy your name. So if I'm coming to the altar and the singers can come, if I'm coming into the altar, I have to have a pure heart. So as they approach, everybody should be looking at your heart. And in the congregation of the righteous, if we want God's power to really be made present, you got to really think about it. Now, you could make these kinds of excuses. Well, I'm tired. I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to clap. God didn't ask you to do that. God said, bring me praise. Well, I can praise in my mind. That's not what he told you. He says, bring me the sacrifice of praise and the fruit of your lips, which means you've got to be able to do something. Now, God understands you. If you've got issues and stuff like that in your body and all that, that's good. That's, he understands that. But if you are fine in your body, and even if you're not fine in your body, wink your eye. Pat your feet, clap your hands, move your fingers. If you lay, if you're on a stretcher and you're going to praise him, you ought to just praise him. Somebody was on their dying bed and they were just moving their hand. They couldn't move, but they, they heard the, sound, the songs of Zion. They just moved their hands like that. They love God enough that says, my sickness and me lying on his deathbed doesn't matter. He's worthy of the praise. Are you listening to me? Child just got killed. 
They came into the church and they lifted their hands up and said, Lord, I thank you because you've been good to me. You've been good to me. And Lord, I'm distraught. I've messed up. I don't know why this happened. I don't know why, but I'm still going to give you praise. They just got fired from their job and they came home and they told their wife, they fired me. The wife got mad. He says, I will look up to the hills with what's come of my help, for my help coming from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Yes, I lost my job, but I'm still going to give him praise. I remember young and in my life, I think we had been married maybe about four or five years. And we, were in, we were in debt and we were trying to get a loan and this guy advertised in a paper and he, he said, for $250, I'll get you a loan. He came to the house. All we had was $250. <laughs> we scrounged that up. We gave him the money. He says, okay, I'm going to call you. I'm going to call you tomorrow. We're going to start the process. Tomorrow came and left. The next day came and left. Didn't hear from him again. But I remember in the bed that night, I, I said, Lord, thank you. Don't know what to do, but thank you. See, we could put things ahead of just worshiping him. He says, hallowed be thy name. That means that his name is great. See, in this dimension, this is the first dimension, and in this dimension, those were the same. When you put an altar, he says, and you put my name on the altar, he says, I will come to you. I will come to you. And so, people have a hard time praising because the enemy knows how much power is in praise. How much power is in your expression of worship? Because worship is more than just a song. Worship is a lifestyle accommodated by the expression of how you feel about God. <laughs> and so every single one of us that is in this place, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It doesn't matter how bad it is. It doesn't matter what it is. You ought to look to the hills and welcome your help because your help coming from the Lord that made the heavens and earth, and he's still worthy of the praise. Matter of fact, he's the only one that's going to be able to get you out anyway. Because if we, pure, if we worship him, we say, hallowed be thy name, he will come. When we call on his name, he will come. When we worship him, he will come. I learned this a long time ago is that wherever you, wherever God is, everything about God is with him. His healing is there and his power is there. His deliverance is there. His provision is there. It's all right there. I learned that a long time ago. I used to say it all the time. His presence is here. His presence is here. His presence is here. And his presence is here right now. I don't have to feel nothing. I just know his presence is here. Why? Because it has been embedded me to the point where I, I know. I don't have to assume. I don't have to do any of that. I don't have to have no evidence of it. I do it by faith because he know, I know his word says he's here. When I worship him, he comes. Or in other words, 
he manifests himself because he's already in us, so he just manifests who he is. How many want you to manifest who he is in your life? You got to drop everything that's going on in your heart. I don't care how sick you are. I don't care. Now, it's not that we don't care about your sickness, but we know that somebody is a great physician. We know that somebody's a bomb in Gilead. We know there's healing there. We know that by his stripes you are healed. And what we need him to do is to manifest. You can just lift your eyes up. Even with tears in your eyes, you can just lift them up and say, Lord, I'm hurting in my body, but I still praise you. You are the great physician. Your name is exalted above every name. And Lord, I exalt your name right now. In the midst of my sickness, I'm still going to exalt you because you're worthy of the praise. You made me. You have me breathe. I'm still alive today. You're worthy of all the praise and worthy of all the glory. And you are holy. And because you are God, I worship you. I listen to what I'm saying. And so everybody ought to stand up and just... Now, if you don't want to, that's fine. But those that are willing, those that can look at your heart and say, you know what? I still got some problems in my heart, but I'm still going to worship you. I still got some issues that I need to work out, but I'm going to work with you, Lord. I'm going to cooperate with what your word says. I'm going to purposely. I'm just going to be true to you and true to me. I'm still messed up, but I still know you're worthy. Can anybody be like, can anybody be truthful like that? Can anybody be truthful like that? I'm still messed up, but you're still worthy. Because that's how you build a, a righteous altar, knowing that you're messed up, you're working on it, and that you're taking out the old and you're putting in God's word, and you're taking out the old word and putting God's word in it, taking out your word and putting God's word in it, taking out people's word and putting God's word in it. You're replacing the things that shouldn't be there. And as God's assembling you, you'll find out that you're in his image. Behold, all things are new. We go from glory to glory. We go from precept and concept. We go from a little one here, a little level. 